Hebrews chapter 12, God tells us, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every uh, sin, or wait, sorry, and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Uh, we have been encouraging you to run the race since our revival meeting back three weeks ago or so, something to that effect. I lost track of time already. Uh, but uh, when we, uh, the Sunday after, we challenged you to look at Hebrews chapter 12. And we took time that first Sunday to go back all the way to chapter 10, where this subject is kind of introduced and walk through chapter 10. Uh, and we're in the midst of chapter 11 now. I know we preached the beginning of chapter 12 this morning, so I'm going backwards. I understand that fully, but uh, we're in Hebrews chapter 11, seeing people, the witnesses, the great cloud of witnesses who tell us that we need to run the race and how we can run the race and teach us a lot of great principles for running the race for God. If you have the outline from last Sunday evening, let's quickly review, and you can help me out with this, some of the steps in part two, the steps to a changed life based on Hebrews chapter 11. In fact, a number of the first seven uh, principles that we gave you or seven points that we gave you are based upon the whole chapter and the picture that we get. Yes, and there are some outlines. So if you need one or whatever, you can kind of raise a hand or whatever. If you don't need one, that's fine. But if you'd like one, uh, let's just go over these things, practical points we have learned about uh, a changed life. What are some of the things we saw from Hebrews chapter 11 last week? What's the first thing? All right, anyone can run. Hebrews 11 is a great testament to that fact. I mean, you got a harlot that ran. And, uh, and God mentions her. Uh, you've got, uh, you've got uh, a lady who was 90 years of age having a baby. She ran, all right? And, uh, and, and God gave her ability. Then we have a number of different men from different ages in different times, all struggling but yet running the race for the glory of God. Uh, great uh, names that we know of. Uh, Noah, uh, who was all alone, who ran. Ran for a hundred years and didn't have any conversions. I, uh, you know, that's that's uh, that's got to be encouraging to any preacher who's who's you know preached for years and faithfully served God and like, wow, no converts in a hundred years of preaching. That's got to be you know it's got to be discouraging. But he ran and he ran uh, for the glory of God and the Lord uh, saved him and his family as a result. Anyone can run. What a great truth. And then we learned what what else did we mention? Everyone's race is different. Uh, if you're going to run the race, everyone's race will, will lead you to places you never thought before. And, uh, and you know, it, it's, it's going to be different. And that's, by the way, why we can't have a list of how to win the victory over sin or how to run the race. Because if God did that, this list would have like 80 things. And the truth is, you might even look at it and say, well, that one doesn't apply and that one doesn't apply. So what's good is that God in Scripture, knowing that, just gave us numerous principles that would be effective and can be effective as you evaluate where you're at and where you need to go, and you can learn from these things. And not everyone may apply in your situation, but 
though the race is different for everyone, everyone can run and run successfully. All right, then we learn number three. Very true, a victorious run is made up of individual battles. And that was so true. You look at uh, how Abraham is mentioned a couple different times. Uh, how there are a few different things in Moses' life. And we are reminded that victory in the race is there are individual battles. There are, there are hills that come in this, in this marathon run. Okay, and what is the run to? What is the goal? Oh, yes, you're getting it down. Awesome, all right? All right, so it's holiness or heaven, whichever comes first. And, uh, and we know that in, in reality, uh, both are going to come at the same time. Because when you meet your Lord and Savior, you, you will be victorious from there on out over sin. And you won't battle with that any longer. But until then, you, there's always going to be that struggle for holiness. And, and a victorious run is individual battles. By the way, there, there's also this concept and this idea that, that there are going to be times then that are more difficult than others. There are going to be, going to be times that are, are rather simple and rather easy, if you would, in running the race and running effectively. There's going to be the mountaintop experiences, but, but there's going to be the valleys as well, and there's going to be the, the hills that you've got to climb, and there's going to be the turns, and there's going to be the rocks you've got to go over as far as this run is concerned. Um, it would be nice if it was all just one smooth course all the way, but it's individual battles that, that uh, are, are faced, and the passage teaches us. Uh, what else did we learn? And, and again, these are things to know or things to do. What do we say? Okay, determine the promise or the command. This actually is found in, or we mentioned in chapter 12 this morning, that we need to know what the Bible says, and we spent quite a bit of time on that this morning. But if we're going to run victoriously, and we're going to have faith in God, we have to know what his word is, what his promise is, what he expects from us in this race. Um, Cain and Abel both knew what they were supposed to do. One did it, the other didn't. And it's obvious because God wouldn't have held Cain responsible uh, and, and, and God would not have rejected it if he hadn't expressed clearly what he expected. Um, and he wouldn't have been favorable to Abel's lest he had told them both, this is what you're supposed to do. And even though they didn't have the written word of God at the time, God had communicated to them what they needed to know. Uh, number five, and if you don't get this point in Hebrews 11, you, you'll miss the whole chapter. Okay, faith is a foundational need or the primary need. You can put it however you want. It's the, it's the foundational or primary need upon which victory rests. You've got to believe God. Um, and it's interesting because it doesn't say you've got to believe his, his uh, individual points. It says you've got to believe God. And if you believe God, it will lead you to listen to his word and accept his promises and act upon them. And, uh, and what he tells you, his warnings or whatever may be the case, as we saw this morning, he warned, he called, and, he, um, and then with Sarah, he promised. And there are different ways in which God presents our race before us, but we need faith in him and uh, in, in the fact that he'll reward us. Uh, number six. Great. Be committed to pursuing the goal, to pursuit of the goal. Um, God rewards those that do what? Diligently seek him. Uh, seek him out and uh, investigate. And remember what we said, diligently carries the idea was 
investigate him. Uh, And another word was, I don't know if you remember this, to crave God. Uh, May we we just uh, crave him. That's a, a great, I think that's a great word and a great picture. Number seven. And this is one we don't necessarily like, but it's true. And some people really All right. The race did put numerous people at odds with folks, right? Cain and Abel. Um, Moses was put at odds with the Egyptians, with Pharaoh, the one whose household he was, he was reared in. Um, we, we look throughout Scripture, and these people made decisions. By the way, uh, Rahab made a decision that, that certainly put her at odds with anyone in the, the city in which she lived. Am, am I right? Uh, so just understand that the race, that people aren't always going to be happy about the race. The family might not be happy about the race. All right, so there you have seven things, and we're going to pick up at number eight. Thank you for helping me review and for mentioning those things. Let's, let's pray, and let's ask God to help us now as we uh, dig in and look at the rest of the chapter. Father, I thank you that uh, you've given us a race to run. And uh, I pray that you would help us this evening to glean some more truth from Hebrews 11 that might encourage us in this race for God. Help us to run. Help us to run well. And uh, I pray that uh, the examples in Hebrews 11, these witnesses that uh, speak though they be dead, they're speaking today, may their lessons learned and the things we are shared about them, may they be a help to us understand better the battle and to run victoriously for the glory of God. Thank you, Lord, for what you'll do and how you'll help us. We pray this. I was thinking, actually, believe it or not, I was thinking. I do that every once in a while. I was thinking uh, this afternoon, how could we prepare and how could we lead up to the message for uh, this evening? And, well, we had seven points to go over and review. But there's something that also came to mind. Um, you know, I started to think about the, the race that God has given me in life as far as my own personal life, and it's been interesting to consider the fact that when I was a youngster, when I trusted Christ at age seven and I was put into the race, because that's when you begin your race is when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, and the race is then for holiness or heaven. Now, I didn't know it exactly at that time, but when I got saved, I was put into the race. I had no idea what my race entailed. Remember we said there's a, there's a variety of races. Everyone has a race to run. I had no idea that my race would lead me uh, well over 1,000 miles to go to college uh, and, uh, and that my race would lead me through Susan Moore, Alabama. Had no idea that my race would take me to Logan's, Logansport, Indiana, nor that it would lead me to Gibson City, Illinois. Had no idea that it would lead me thousands of miles through various situations and circumstances. I had no idea of those things when God put me in the race. And thankfully so. Because had I known all those things, I'm not so sure. I would have been really excited as as a, I, I I know this will sound bad, as a teenager that I'd be in Tennessee for 19 years of my life. Not because Tennessee is bad. I've learned to love it. I think it's a wonderful place to live. Okay, so, so there you go. 
but you do have preconceived ideas depending on where you were born and raised and, and, and reared and your experiences in life. And this isn't what I would have chosen for my race necessarily. God knew that. So he didn't tell me when I was seven years of age, man, you just got saved, buddy, and you're going to end up in Tennessee as a preacher. In fact, if you ever told me, I would end up as a preacher until, until much later on. I mean, I'm talking about, about 17, 18 years of age. I would have said, no way is that part of God's race for me. And the truth that has been interesting to me as I've read through Hebrews chapter 11 is the fact that God doesn't tell us where we're going to go. God doesn't tell us what our run involves. But God does indicate in this passage it is a daily struggle. So put that down. That the run is a daily struggle. God doesn't lay out the entire race and say, okay, here's where you got to be at such and such a time. This is when your race will end. I, by the way, I'm glad he hasn't told me that yet. I don't know about you. you know, oh, I'd like to have that later. I, really, I don't want to know. I don't want to know when the end of my race is. I don't necessarily want to know. Um, well, I, you know, I would like it to be quick. I would prefer the, the upper taker rather than the undertaker, as they say. You know, I would prefer uh, going to, to meet the Lord in the air. Uh, I have no idea how it's going to be when I get to the end of the race. But I'm thankful that when I get there, that God will direct me even then. But it is a daily battle. And I think that Abraham perfectly, wonderfully illustrates that for us. By faith, verse 8 says, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out. And read that last phrase and, and share with me what it tells you. He didn't know where he was going. Now, I, I have people, it's amazing to me, people that, that come by and they look for help. And a lot of times, uh, you know, they look for help like, well, I, I made this trip to Illinois and I'm heading back to, I'm heading back to New Orleans and, and, uh, and I don't have enough money for gas. Honestly, I, I think to myself, why'd you go? You know, I mean, if they had an emergency situation, I understand that. But why'd you go? And don't you have credit cards? And, you know, there, there are things you need to think through about your trip, where you're going, and what you're doing. It's amazing to me that Abraham didn't know where he was going to go. Now, think about this. Would you, would you have moved to Tennessee, Farrington's? If you didn't know anything about the place and you just came, chances are probably not. <laughs> yeah, because some people kept pushing you to come. You didn't have a choice. I understand that. But we won't talk about the Duncans negatively here tonight, okay? No, the, the truth of the matter is you knew a lot about it. You already knew, hey, this is what, it, what it's like and everything else. Imagine this, that Abraham said to God, okay, I'll go. <laughs> well, you know, that was kind of pretty obvious, but I could have told you that a long time ago. Anyway, uh, <laughs> that's another story. No, uh, um, beautiful place it is, but um, not a place you want to live, especially now, right? With the governor, lovely governor they have now. Okay, we could really get off on that subject, and we better not do that. Here's the point, though. Abraham's race was just a, a daily, what do you want from me now? Where am I supposed to be? What am I supposed to be doing? And what is encouraging to me is that I don't have to know where my race is uh, five years from now. Um, 
I didn't have to know my race was going to take me to Gibson City, Illinois. I didn't have to know that my race was going to go through uh, Susan Moore, Alabama, which no one knows where it is. I didn't have to know uh, where I was going to meet my mate, when I was going to meet my, my mate. I didn't have to know any of those things. I just had to be concerned with what God wants me to do today. And where I'm supposed to be running right now. And what I'm supposed to be doing right now. And what is encouraging but also challenging about this is that I need to be running. So every day, I need to be seeking God's face about what my race is all about. If I'm going to run, God won't tell me what's happening next week. But God will help me today to do what needs to be done. And it'll give me the strength for today. In fact, sufficient unto the day, God tells us, is the evil thereof. We got enough problems today to deal with in our race. So look, don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry. It's a daily battle. So I'm just going to daily take it and say, God's got a race for me to run today. Tomorrow morning when you get up, God, you have a race for me to run today. Help me to run well. And if you'll do that on Tuesday and you'll do that on Wednesday and do that on Thursday and do that on Friday... You will come to the end of life, and God, if he were writing another Bible, and he's not going to, but if he were, he could put you in Hebrews 11. There aren't. We look at, there's some amazing things that take place in Hebrews 11, but you know, a lot of this stuff is just generic. Abraham left his homeland and went to a place God told him to go. I mean, how many people, how many people leave their homeland in life? But that was his race. And daily, he just needed God's direction for what he wanted. And he never got land except a place to bury his wife. That's all he owned in Canaan when he went on. That's it. A place to be buried. And and his family took hundreds of years until they ever got there and owned and conquered the land. It was a daily struggle. It was a daily battle. Number nine, another great truth about this race is found in verses 15 and 16. It says, and truly, if they had been mindful, well, maybe we should, let's go, let's go back. Verse 13, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but have, having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country, that is, in heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. Number nine in your outline, Roman numeral nine, whatever. Forget the things which are behind. Forget the things which are behind. Running effectively does not require, I know what's going to happen two months down the road and and where I'm going to be and where I'm supposed to be running then. It requires that today I find out what God wants. But part of running effectively is forgetting the things which are behind. You know, yesterday's history. You can't do anything to change what happened yesterday. But today you can begin running if you weren't running yesterday or if you blew it or if you Drop the baton, however you want to put it. You can run today. You can forget the things which are behind. 
Hebrews 11, as I was reading it through, quite honestly, I think I had maybe five points to start, and then every time I read it through, I got a, a couple more points to write down. And quite honestly, what I jumped out to me in verse 15 is probably one of the more important points that we learned in Hebrews chapter 11. Well, at least, uh, it's, it's important because it's vital to running the race effectively. Look, how do we know Abraham had his faith in God? He stayed in Canaan because he knew what God expected of him. You know what it says in verse 15? Abraham didn't think about the place he left. Because if Abraham thought about the place he left, what do you think would have happened? What does the verse tell you? He probably would have gone back. I'm, I'm serious about this. You know why some people don't run well? It's because they're looking back at the things that they missed or the things they wish they had or maybe even failures of the past, and those things are keeping them from running today. The point that seems to be made is that Abraham went out, didn't know where he was going to end up, didn't know the place. God said, I'm going to send you to, to a land that, hey, just go. And Abraham says, okay. And what is amazing about this is that Abraham didn't keep his mind back in his homeland. His focus wasn't, wasn't back on, on that. I've got something to do for God today. And I'm not going to focus on that. I'm not going to think on that. I'm not going to dwell on that. I'm not going to remember the, the, the leeks and the garlic in Egypt. Isn't that what Israel had a problem with? Looking back, thinking about how good it was before. Forget the things which are behind. Do you know Paul talked about that? In fact, you know the verses in Philippians chapter 3 where he said, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. And this is what laid out for us very well in these verses, verses 14, 15, and 16, and especially in verse 15. Hey, if his mind had been back on that line... You know what? Here's the truth. I don't know about you, but humanly, I would have said, well, you know, um, you think, Sarah, what it would have been like had we stayed back home? Man, Dad had a nice house. And, uh, and man, the food was great there. And I remember all the, all the things that we used, to, we used to do. Remember when we were dating? When we were recording, I don't, whatever you want, turn these. You remember when we first met? Uh, and, but the fact of the matter is they didn't dwell on that. Because they had they dwelled on it, here's what God said, they probably would have gone back. And I'll tell you, it took those who, whose lives were killed later on in Hebrews 11. There's a lot of people who died. If they were looking back, they would have recanted their faith, which many were called upon to do. But they didn't because they forgot the things which were behind. And they said, this is more important than what I had. Moses did that. 
And he went on, and God used him. Forget the things which are behind. Uh, I've told you about the the guy at college who ended up going home a few weeks into the semester. Um, I'd suspect that most kids, here's the truth, most kids that go to college, uh, sorry, I didn't mean to tell you this story, but I'm going to tell you anyway, at least have some battle with homesickness. At some time, somewhere, just... Just know that it'll just know it'll happen. If you don't know who I'm talking about, <clears throat> okay, know it'll happen. There, there will be. There's just you're just gonna be if if you have a good home that you left, you're gonna miss it. That's true. Well, why did this young man go home, but hundreds of students stayed at college? Was it because because the students that stayed didn't care about their home? Well, probably a couple, maybe who had a rough home life and were just glad to be in a place where there was a spiritual emphasis and everything else, all right? But for a great majority of kids, they felt the same way. But you know what happened? He called mom, mommy, every night. And he would spend an hour or two on the phone at the end of the hall. And if you walked by, you'd see him crying. Well, he talked to his mom every night. Now, I, I, I blame mom for part of that, but I blame him as well. You say, well, well, why? Because God had a race for him to run, and the race wasn't back home with mom. And he needed to forget about that. Not forget about the wonderful times, not forget about his mother. She needed to hear from him every once in a while, but not every night. Makes sense. You know, some people live in their past, and and wish they had this and wish they had that. Run today. Come on, forget the things that are behind and move forward for God. Um, He kept longing for home, for mama, and the way things were. Israel wanted to go back to Egypt, and I wonder if sometimes Christians keep falling because that's where their mind and heart are. Um, And and that's got to go. In fact, number 10, and this, I know we've kind of related a little bit, but the goal needs to captivate your mind and heart. The goal needs to captivate, must captivate your mind and heart. Verse 16, but now they desire a better country. There's nothing better than running the race. Nothing. Nothing better than running the race. Do you know Moses believed that to be true? He chose rather to suffer affliction, verse 25, with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. The the goal captivated his mind and his heart, and he said, this is what I want. And so, so get this. All that Egypt had to offer wasn't appealing. And he didn't say, oh, look at what I'm missing. He esteemed suffering with the children of God as far better than enjoying the pleasures of sin. He he had the goal captivated his heart and mind. Um, And there's a question, do Has your eternal home and living for God captivated your heart and mind? You won't run well unless it does. Seek ye first the kingdom of God 
and his righteousness. Make that your, your goal. Make that your, your burning ambition, your focus. Uh, I've read uh, now, as I've prepared for this, about a lot of runners. Um, Charlie Paddock was one who had a burning ambition. He wanted to become an Olympic champion. And that ambition dominated his thinking, even as a child. Uh, after having set or tied several world records, including four world records at one event, Paddock claimed the dream of his lifetime. He won the 100 meters in the Olympic Games at Antwerp, Belgium in 1920. After that victory, uh, he spoke uh, about his experiences, and he went to East Tech High School in Cleveland, Ohio. And when he went to that high school to speak that day, there was a little, a, the description was spindly-legged boy who was so touched by Paddock and what he had to say, he could hardly speak as he went up to him afterwards and he said, Mr. Paddock, I'd give anything to be a champion just like you. And Paddock encouraged this young man, gave him a dream. The youngster worked hard. He stayed focused. In 1936 in Berlin, that young man won four gold medals. His name was Jesse Owens. After he was the champion, Owens went back to his home place, Cleveland, Ohio, the same place where he, heard, he had heard the message, and he shared how God, or how he had won the victory and how he had focused on winning a medal and he had accomplished it. A little boy, so skinny he was called Bones, heard the great runner speak. He was inspired, so much inspired that he ran all the way home and he told his grandmother, Grandma, I'm going to be an Olympic champion. In 1948, in London, he won the 100-meter finals, tying Owen's record of 10.3 seconds. In 1952, in Helsinki, he set a new record in the hurdles. His name, Harrison Bones Dillard. What was true of these three, and probably most every Olympic champion in history, is this. They were driven by a goal down the road. And that's what a Christian needs to do. There's a goal down the road that we need to live for, and we've got to keep that first and foremost in our mind and in our heart. Anytime you get discouraged, anytime you want to look back, anytime you look and say, oh, I blew it yesterday, uh, just get your mind on the, the fact that uh, holiness is the goal, and today I can move forward. Yesterday I fell, the day before I fell, uh, yeah, there were some things that I miss from the past that I would enjoy doing, but you know, I've got a goal today and I've got a race to run. And so I'm going to keep at it. And I'm going to make this my focus, my ambition, my goal in life. Um, what caused Moses to endure? Do you know what it tells us? Uh, look at what it, it says. Um, let me see if I can find it. Oh, verse 27. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured. And what kept him going? Yeah, his, his faith was, was sight. It gave him sight. He saw an invisible God, and he realized it's worth it. It's worth it. He had no more doubt that God, someone wrote, that had called him to his work and that God would sustain him than if he saw God with his physical eyes. And may that be, what do you see? Do you see an obstacle or do you see God? Do you see the failures of the past or do you see God? 
Do you see struggles and, and heartache and, and issues, or do you see, do you see God? We need to be, uh, the goal needs to captivate our heart and mind. Verse 19 of chapter 11. Abraham is called to offer Isaac in this portion, and it says this, that Abraham was ready to offer his son, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead. Here's the truth. Be confident in the power of God. Be confident in the power of God. I just can't win over this sin. Um, quite honestly, there's a proper perspective in that. You can't. For without me, you can do nothing. See, we know these principles, uh, but it's a matter of applying it. I need God. Um, and here's Abraham who would follow the, the command of God to offer his son and to lift the knife. And we looked at that passage not too long ago, I know. But to me, it's an amazing thing. He was going to kill his son because he believed that he was the son of promise and that if this is what it called for, God would raise him from the dead. Does anyone think that's amazing? He was confident in the power of God to do the miraculous, to raise him from the dead. So he raised the knife, ready to take his own son's life because he believed in the power of God to take care of it and do what was necessary to fulfill his promise. I don't know about you, but I struggle with this one at times. And, and I hate to admit it, but it's just the truth. Sometimes I really don't. I, I wonder if I, I really believe that God can do it. I, okay, I, I'll, I'll say it. I, I am convinced that there was some cheating that's been done with the election. Um, I, I don't know, but I really believe that... Um, the man everyone claims to have won, or at least the news media all claims to have won, I don't believe he did. Now, I, I've been praying about that. I've already told you that fact. I've been praying about it. But, you know, i, I got to admit, there's been some times where I just say, man, eh, you know, I don't know if the Lord will do that. Um, I don't know if the Lord could do that. And every time... I, I do that. I come to stories in the Bible. I come to this story, and I say, here's a guy that was willing to plunge a knife in his son because he believed that God had the power to raise his son from the dead. So why do I doubt God's ability to turn the election to that which is right? Um, I think about Israel, and I know that when you look at the numbers, I mean, people debate how many people were in Israel, but uh, a, a very conservative estimate was that there was one and a half million people. And God fed those people for 40 years daily. He gave them food every day. Do you know how much food it takes, well, to just to feed your family for a week? 
And to think that God did that without, he never went to a store. Just provided it. Every day, enough. So the children of Israel walked through on dry ground the, the Jordan. They walked through the, 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 the sea. If God can't, if God cannot direct these people to find the dishonesty, if God can't work and, and overturn things that have cheating that's been done, then my God's pretty small. And part of the battle in running is just coming to the absolute conclusion that God has the power. So, yes, maybe you've been defeated over and over and over again, and maybe you've fallen so many times in the same area that you know you need to win the victory over to run. God's able. He has the power. He has the ability. And Hebrews 11 teaches us that God did. God had the power and ability to, to give men the strength to be sawn asunder, to die for their faith. And God can give you the strength to do what you need to do in running the race, whatever it requires. You know, running the race for Pastor Griffith meant going through the portal of death this past a, a, week, a little bit over a week ago. Um, I, I feel for the church, for his family. Uh, we've been praying for them for a long, for for quite a while, at least since we heard the news of his cancer, and how it just seemed to really progress quickly. And uh, and I prayed for certain things. I know that, but you know, he had a race to run, and that was his race. And God gave him grace each and every step of the way, and He'll do the same for you. You just need to believe that he's able. Um, his hand does not shorten that it cannot save. And if he doesn't choose to deliver you that way, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. So no matter where your race takes you, his power is sufficient. Trust it. Number 12, don't let the fear of men control you. Moses' par parents didn't fear a great king. Verse 23. Um, and they were killing babies, and there was a great risk. Um, Moses didn't fear the king, and he led Israel out of Egypt. You know what's encouraging about that? The time Moses left without fear was the second time he left. The first time he left, why, why did he leave? <laughs> he left because of fear. And I, I love that Hebrews 11 doesn't remind us of that. It says he left without fear. And it had to be the second time he's talking about here. Where he left saying, hey, you know, I left last time out of fear. But this time I leave confident that this is God's path for me and I'm doing what God wants me to do and, uh, and I'm going to make it. He didn't let the fear of men control his life. Uh, let me share with you another important truth. 
remember the value of deferred gratification. In verses 24 to 26, I guess we're focusing a little bit on Moses, but it says, Moses, when he was come to years there in verse 24, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. He knew there was a payday, and he, he remembered then, or he put a value on what's deferred gratification. You know what I mean by deferred gratification? That sometimes it's best, if you would, to go without now for the results, for what's coming down the road. And that's what he was able to see and able to choose. And sometimes that is really hard. Look, which would you choose? Um, if we had a great big bowl of your favorite ice cream or a large plate of broccoli. All right, let me tell you what I would choose. How come you're laughing? Okay, I choose the ice cream every time, every day. All right, now, it's a no-brainer to me, but Moses chose broccoli. Um, something affected his decision. I, I have in my notes a tribute to his mother. His mother must have taught him that broccoli is better than ice cream. I don't know. Okay, but I, no, I think you, you, you get the point. His mother had to instill some wonderful truth in his life, but he deferred gratification. He, I could have it all now, or I can have it all later. What he said is, I, I'd rather have it all later, if that's what it takes. And might we say that that is really a crucial point that some people have a hard time grasping. It's hard to live for something down the road. It's hard to live for the Olympic medal. Don't think that these Olympians had a great time because most of them sacrificed their entire life to win in the Olympics. And some were at it for years, swimming when no one else was swimming. It being in the pool six to eight hours a day, giving up all the fun that other teenagers their age were doing so that they could be the best. Deferred gratification. And being on the podium, getting the gold medal was it. And, and here's the truth. There's a number that have done that that never got the medal. Because only one does. But you know what's great? That everyone in this room, if you defer gratification, if you choose broccoli over ice cream, will get the reward down the road. God's promised it. That's encouraging. And it needs to keep you going. In fact, uh, number 14, keep going to completion. Keep going to completion. In verse 30, the Bible says, By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were compassed about, Seven days. Walls didn't fall down after day one. Didn't fall down after day two. Didn't fall down after day three, day four, day five, day six. Didn't fall down after the first time around, day seven, or the second time, or the third time, or the fourth time, or the fifth time. You got to think by day three or four, even though these people were afraid in, in Jericho, you got to think there was at least a few people kind of, <laughs> hey, buddy, you having a good time? I don't know. You, you got to imagine six times 
that last day. And they had to do it silently. Do you realize how hard that must have been? Uh, no, we're not. I'm not going there. Don't go there. Don't go there. Don't go there. But, but here's, here's the truth, that it wouldn't have happened unless they went seven days and that last day seven times and obeyed exactly what God told them. And it's just a great reminder that our, our race isn't running until the end and we just need to keep on until completion, until holiness or heaven. So keep on. Let's run. Let's run for God. And Hebrews 11 has this tremendous, this great cloud of witnesses, people who tell us, you can run. You can run effectively. Learn from us. And then we're going to see next week when we continue on in Hebrews 12 to learn from Jesus. He's the best, the best runner this world has ever known. And, uh, these people are great examples. He's the greatest. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Not going to have a come forward invitation tonight, um, but I, I 